Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, August 31st, day four of the 2023 U.S. Open, now officially in the books. It was a very steady day for the seeds in both the men's and women's singles draws. We had only three upsets between both events, and perhaps most importantly to the big picture look at this year's final slam event. All of our top five contenders are still alive. None of them have really been threatened either. I suppose that's where I'll open today's show. You look at what we've seen through the first two rounds of play. You start on the women's side. Iga hasn't dropped the set. Sabalenka hasn't dropped the set. Obviously, Rabakina got the withdrawal from Tamjanovic in round two, but she was dominant against Kostjuk in round number one. Jessica Pagula hasn't blinked. Back-to-back straight set victories. She was a winner on day four. We can discuss that in a little bit. I know Laura Siegemann gave Coco Goff some difficulties in round number one, but did you see the way Goff responded in round two against Minora Andreva? That was the clear-cut top five, the perennial, dare I say, quotation marks around big three of the year, Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina. Of course, Pagula, Goff win both of your North American 1,000-level events. It was a clear-cut Uh, cut top five coming in. They've dropped one set between their nine matches, not including, again, the withdrawal Tamjanovic got in round, uh, excuse me, Rybakina got from Tamjanovic in round two. Top five seeds have looked the part. Again, that sets up for a potentially very, very fun second week of play in New York because, you know, even beyond that, you had one seed upset today in Carolina Pliskova. Yes, we've seen top 10 seeds in Caroline Garcia, Maria Sakari eliminated. I don't think anyone would have had either of those two players on their top 10 list of contenders, let alone top five, but not even top 10 list coming into this event. Players like Krachikova, Kudermatova have struggled of late. I know Kvitova won Miami earlier in the year, but you know tennis is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sort of sport. So to see her eliminated by Caroline Wozniacki, not the most shocking result. All the best players, all the top contenders, obviously the top five, but then, you know, you think of the Maria, uh, excuse me, the Ludmilla Samsonovas of the world. She's obviously had an outstanding uh, North American hardcore summer finals, Canada, what, semis, D.C., you know, she's still alive. Karolina Muhova, French Open finalist, she's yet to drop a set. Marketa Von Drusova, Wimbledon champion, she's yet to drop a set. All the top dogs are still in action. And so, again, sets up for a really fun second week of play on the women's side. Yes, we've seen a little bit more chaos on the men's side, certainly with Runa, Tsitsipas, and Rude all exiting before the start of the third round. But, you know, again... On the men's side, I think it's a pretty clear-cut top four, and then I think there's one player who's a tier three fifth guy who fits the top five description. Obviously, Alcaraz, Djokovic, I should have said Djokovic, Alcaraz, 1A, 1B, they're in a tier of their own. Neither guy has dropped the set thus far. They've each looked exceptional. You know, again... You look at Tier 2, Medvedev, Sinner, Sinner a couple of straight set victories. Medvedev drops that third set to Chris O'Connell. You know, Medvedev continues to show frustration in ways that have to be detrimental to his game and yet manages to steady the ship, won a very comfortable fourth set. Again, the match was never really in doubt. You know, that said, 
I guess of all the top contenders, he's looked the shakiest, and yet I really have zero doubts from him coming out of the first two rounds. And, you know, again, Sinner's crew. So very clear-cut top four, very clear-cut top two tiers. I think the fifth guy has to be Zverev. Semis in Cincinnati where he beat Medvedev along the way, played Djokovic pretty close in the semis. He's earned straight set win over Vukic, pretty comfortable four-set win over Daniel Altmaier. I think he served for the second set, which he ultimately ended. No, 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 he didn't serve for the second set. But uh, again, I don't think the result was ever really in doubt. Top five have looked good. You know, they're on a collision course. Now, Sinner, Zverev would play in the round of 16. Obviously, Sinner, Alcaraz, or Zverev, Alcaraz would play in the quarterfinals. Those guys all have the toughest pathway because the winner of that likely faces Medvedev in the semis. Winner of that, probably Djokovic in the final. Obviously, all the Americans who would have filled up that tier four of best of the rest where you throw in the Rublevs, the Americans, uh, Fritz, Paul, Tiafo, I think Rude, Runa, Hercots belonged probably in that conversation given the North American hardcourt summer he had had. But I, you know, again, given the way the draw has opened up, the Americans have obviously moved into tier three with Alex Virov in the sense that if they protect their seeds, they should go as far as that seed takes them. And in the case of Fritz, that's the quarterfinals. In the case of Tiafo Paul, that would be a quarterfinal battle. Winner of that advancing to the semifinals. Again, we've done a lot on the upsets. We've done a lot on the best matches through the first two days of play because there's been so much, so much tennis to break down. Felt like I owed, though, all of you listeners to start today's show a 30,000-foot view, dare I say. How have the top contenders fared thus far? And again, on the women's side, they've dropped the top five have dropped a combined one total set. On the men's side, same thing. Top four of Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sinner, Medvedev, they've dropped one combined set. Zverev's dropped another we knew beyond that things were going to get a little bit funky given the lack of form of so many of those typical top 14 guys in the men's game. All of that is to say things have relatively stayed to script, and I think that was one of my themes coming into this U.S. Open for the first time in a long time. feels like we know who the top players are. They've It's been this way now for 18, 24 months. We start to see those patterns, that consistency emerge. I think that's where things stand big picture coming out of day four, But and as we turn the page towards day number Five, the third round of play, which, by the way, you can go here previewed over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Anyways, that's my opener. It's been dwelling in my brain, that thought. So I wanted to present that argument to all of you listeners to start today's show. That said, again, I also want to take us through all of day four's results. We're going to mix up the order on the day because there's only three upsets. So I want to talk about some of the most notable results first. Who went the distance? Obviously, players like Jabur, who escapes in three over Noskova, Kasatkina against Kennan, Svitolina, Chinwen. I think those are all relevant results as we turn the page towards week two. So start to break that down on the men's side. Obviously, a lot of the top seeds look the part. Elkaraz, Medvedev, Sinner, Rublev, Zverev, etc. Want to break down all of those results. Get into the Americans. Get into the players with college results. Yes, touch on the upsets and so much more as always. Coming out of this show, I hope all of you feel well informed about everything that happened over the last 24 hours in New York. Of course, before we get to it, a shout out as always to our dear friends at Tennis Point Tennis Dash point.com. The promo code is CR15. Best equipment, 
best prices, one location, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's start with what I view as the most notable results on day number four. Let's start with Anjabur who once again has to escape. It, round number one, it was ultimately a straight set win over Kami Osorio. This time she got taken the distance. And look, it's very clear the reigning U.S. Open finalist is is not healthy. Uh, visibly, I don't want to say visibly ill. She did look better in match two than she did match number one, but clearly fighting some sort of cold, fighting some sort of sickness. And Thus, it takes her a little bit longer to recover in between points. You can see the wear and tear of a match on her face maybe a bit more prominently than you typically would from Jabir, who obviously is one of the great fighters we have in our game. And that's where I want to go next, because through all of that illness, through all the adversity she is dealing with, she continues to scrap and claw and ultimately finds her way to a three-set victory uh, over uh, the very talented, very dangerous teenager, Linda Naskova. And I mean, again, look, this was a very good match. Ultimately, uh, it is uh, Anjabur who advances via a 7-6-4-6-6-3 victory. Naskova had a million chances. I, I, this match was on Naskova's racket, who ultimately 30 winners against 38 unforced errors. Now for Jabur, 47 winners against 43 unforced errors. But... Look, Naskova had a million chances in set number one. Yes, she was down a break uh, in the middle of that set 4-3, but comes back from that, has chances to go up a break multiple times in multiple service games, and ultimately she goes 4 of 11 on breakpoint chances in this match. There will be some second serve returns Naskova would absolutely love back. By the way, she had breakpoint chances to break back down, what, 5-3, I, I believe it was, in that third set, and would have broken back 4-5-4, gotten us things back on serve. Didn't quite have the legs down the third set. And again, this is where you have to credit Anjabur, who has faced two serious tests in Kami Osorio and Linda Neskova, two young rising talents playing with nothing to lose in New York so far uh, in her opening two-round battles. Jabur's gotten through, dare I say, with veterans' guile. In this match in particular, her discipline in every ball out of the center of the court, every ball, particularly stretching Naskova on that backhand wing, but mixing in a lot of deep slice as well to keep that ball low on Naskova. Nothing hip level, nothing in the sweet spot contact point wise, because God, how frequently did it feel like Naskova was just teeing off on second serve returns in particular when that ball would sit up for her to again, take control of the point. And one of the issues for Jabur in each of her opening matches, the first serve, the legs just haven't quite been there, made only 52% of her first serves in this match. Again, managed to survive, though, did a great job. Two balls crossed, one ball line, just not allowing Naskova any rhythm. Now, again, it's a credit to Naskova. She hit through a lot of that and was able, I know it's only 30 winners, but I wonder how many forced errors she had throughout the course of the match. I don't have that stat available, but a lot of the times her pace, particularly down the center, just would overwhelm Jabur. And then she'd line up an inside out forehand or she'd line up a down the line backhand. Naskova has real weapons. And again, Linda Naskova's made two WTA tour level finals this year. Naskova, uh, sitting right now at a career high 40 in the live rankings at 18 years old. 
She's on the precipice of a breakthrough. She will be one of my players I circle as 2024 candidate to make a leap into the top 25, the top 20, because again, she reads the court extraordinarily well. I think she anticipates very well. She's tall. She uses that length well to, if if her feet aren't totally there, she's strong enough. As long as her racket's on the ball, she's going to generate decent depth coming back at you as she continues to develop a faster first step, as she gets a little stronger in her legs. I mean, the baseline weapons are no doubt. She can crank things up on the first serve. Now, the second serve sits a little short, but everyone's second serve sits a little short. This was, a ma- again, Anj Jabur clawed her way from down a break, 3-2, takes the final four games of the third set. You know, again, took her four match points to get over the finish line. Nuskova missing a backhand return long, a very makeable backhand return long. But again, her legs were just kind of cooked by that point of the match. It's a credit to Jabur, who needed this sort of result. Again, you look for Ons this year, who obviously didn't have to defend Andy Wimbledon points. So to make that final back-to-back free points on her resume, a massive boost to her overall ranking. She's still only played 37 matches this year. Now, she's 26 and 11. She's won 70% of them. Again, she's made Roland Garros quarterfinals, Wimbledon finals, and now third round here at U.S. Open. Outside of the majors, though, she has not had a ton of success. She won the title in, in Charleston, semis in Stuttgart, first round exit Rome, first round exit Berlin, second round exit Eastbourne, quarterfinal Cincy, Made a semi in Adelaide, I suppose, but that's a 250 to open the year. But I guess given how loaded those draws are, that's impressive. Lost to Noskova, by the way, in that semifinal in Adelaide in three sets. Second round exit, Indian Wells. First round exit, Miami. We, you know, again, it's via the slams that has Anjabur still in the top 10 in the rankings. It's her slam success that has Anjabur seventh right now in the points race. And by the way, she's up 621 points on ninth place Petra Kvitova, even more than that on 10th place Belinda Bencic, who's still alive in this U.S. Open. Jabur's been clutch. Like, this is another instance of her coming through and just, again, finding some sort of way. Her plan A, that overwhelming power, that first step, that ability to make life easy for yourself, it's not on the Sviantec, Rabakina, Sabalenka level. But her ability to find a way to take away what you want to do, find a way to make you uncomfortable, it shined through. In that three-set match. And again, if you're Linda Nuskova, you're on the precipice of a breakthrough. She still had a really good year sitting at 40 in the live rankings. She's now 31-19 and 19 overall. Again, closing in on that breakthrough opportunity. Has made a couple of quarterfinals this year as well. Comes up just short. Jabur manages to get through. You look for her next step. She's going to take on Marie Bozhkova, which, again, another physical test for Jabur. You just wonder how much gas she has left in the tank. Boshkova, by the way, an impressive victory. She advances straight sets uh, over Petra Martic, one and two. She's starting to round her way into form. And again, her Wimbledon and U.S. Open runs are the only reason Marie Boshkova has retained her spot at number 30 in the rankings. She has not had success in many tour-level events so far this season. It's a clutch win for Jabur to advance, uh, where again, Certainly, the match will be on her racket against Marie Bozhkova. The question is, how much gas does she have left in the tank? Two, uh, well, three other. There are six three-set matches overall in the day. On the women's side, there are three other I want to touch on quickly. 
Shout out Daria Kasatkina. I mean, again, she was not dealt in easy opening two-round matches. Two Americans in Alicia Parks and Sonia Kennan. Two three-set victories for Daria Kasatkina. Two come-from-behind three-set victories, by the way. This time she advances 2-6, 6-4, 6-4 over Kennan. This match was war. This match was a slugfest. You look again, 30 winners for Kennan, 25 winners for Kasakina, 44 unforced errors for Kennan, 47 unforced errors for Kasakina. But, I mean, again, it's because every point was 20, 25 shots. We're throwing heavy topspin lobs up in the air. And, you know, it was clear Kennan was nursing some sort of leg injury, so she couldn't fully extend in her movement to that backhand wing. But, I mean, again, if she gets her hands on the ball slice, lob, down the line. There's not a shot in the book Sonya Kennan can't hit. That's always been a fact. It's just, again, the physicality of Daria Kasatkina, who will just say, I'm going to be, I'm going into back mode mode. Beat me. Do something, do something exceptional enough that I can't track it down. And she'll throw in that heavy, highly elevated topspin ball really well into the outer third of the court. I think more than anything, her ability to have action on that elevated ball, not just a sitting lob, but that ball kind of knifes through once it bounces and really pushed Kennan back even further behind that baseline. She took some risks. Like, again, took some big cuts. Now, there are a healthy amount of breaks to serve in this match, 14 total overall, and what was, again, ultimately a 2-6-6-4-6-4 win. So 28 service games in the match. There were 14 breaks of serve. I think that tells the sort of baseline story that was this battle. Kennan's right there. And you look for Sonya Kennan back into the top 100, up to 91 in the live rankings, and just winning a match here in the U.S. Open Back in the mix, can start to play some more tour-level events on her own ranking. Won't have to be wildcard dependent. You know, again, maybe getting some matches and qualifying, building up that callus of match tolerance will be beneficial for her because the ground strokes were there. The fitness wasn't quite there. Now, again, she was nursing some injuries, but the tennis was there. And that hasn't always been the case for Sonya Kennan as she's tried to come back. Again, a great win for Kasakina, a good fight from Kennan. Another solid, I mean, again, what Alina Svitolina has done this season, she's probably going to win comeback player of the year, just again, having missed time to have her first kid, uh, to work her way back into the top 30 so quickly. She's sitting at 25 in the live rankings into the third round of this event via a three-set victory over Anastasia Pavlochenkova, 5-7-6-4-6-4. You know, she was up six four. Th- uh, she was up three love in that third set. Pavlochenkova just kept on coming, but again, physically, how quickly Svitolina has picked up that physicality and just returned to the level. You know, again, the backhand down the line when she flattens it out. That's it's such a good weapon because she disguises it so well and her ability to absorb pace on that wing. The forehand is more imposing. It has more action on it. The backhand is the wing that won't let her down. That said, Pavlochenkova did a very great uh, good job of being patient in attacking that wing, waiting for something short before opening up on the inside-in forehand. And, you know, again, you can play with pace to that Svitolina forehand. She will shank the ball, uh, and you, and that's where I think the majority of her 36 unforced errors came from. But, again, this was a match fought on the margins. 41 winners to 31 winners, Svitolina Pavlochenkova. 36 unforced errors for Svitolina, 45 for Pavlochenkova. 
It really was an either-or sort of match. Another one of those 10, 15-shot rallies. Whoever was whoever landed there down the line, that first change of direction, oftentimes the winner of the rally. This was a really physical one. One worth watching on the highlight reel. Svitolina threw in three sets again. Has very quickly found herself back in the top 30 of the rankings. And it's going to be really fun to watch her take on Jessica Pagula in round number three. Uh, the last three-set winner I want to bring to your attention last going the distance match more broadly here on the women's side. How about Jung Chin Wen? Just very quietly. Like, has she had the breakout season I may have projected for the 20-year-old? No, she hasn't. You know, what's the signature result? I know she won a title, I think, in was it in Lyon on the clay? No, Palermo on the clay in the middle of July quarterfinals in Rome, but beat Wang Xiu, Bondar, and Cornet to get there. You know, not exactly a signature win. Didn't pick up a top 20 win on her way to that Palermo title. You know, loses three sets to Iga round of 16 Cincy, but again, that's a three-set loss, not a three-set victory. You know, first-round exit Wimbledon, second-round exit to Putin Seva at Roland Garros. And yet, despite the lack of signature victories for her this season, 27 and 16 overall, she's maintained her spot in the top 25, sitting at 23 in the live rankings. Now, into the third round here at the U.S. Open will be the favorite in her third round match. She should win it against Lucia Bronzetti. It's a very good status quo year for Jung Chin Wen, if that makes sense, and that she didn't take the leap forward, but there was no regression. Either And at 20 years old, if you're top 30 and you're holding status quo, that's really all you can ask for is to still be seated at the slams, to still not have to play qualifying in any event you want to play. Still have a look at all the big dogs and the big events moving forward, or at least give yourself a position to challenge those players to continue to make a push up the rankings, which again, you need to play the biggest events to really do so. Again, 25 and 17 isn't an elite season. She hasn't had a signature, dare I say, top 20 victory since beating Samsonova, maybe, in three sets in Miami. Or, you know, again, semifinals in Abu Dhabi was a very good start to the season. Beating Ostapenko, beating Kasakina, losing in three to Samsonova at that event. Obviously dealt with a bunch of injuries in that first third of the year and has steadied the ship back on the hard courts here again. Her serve is exceptional. I love how the contrast of how loopy her forehand is because she gets outside the ball extraordinarily well, gets over the top of it. You know, again, that ball comes in high and heavy. And then the drive through the backhand, though, as the contrast. Again, the service motion is elaborate, but she's top 10 in hold percentage so far this season. And that serve is the reason why. Hits an absolute cannon that gives her time to set up an overwhelming first forehand. Now, the unforced errors still leak in. But again, that was a very... that The, the second round match against Kanepi was her most dangerous first round match, given the way the draw had opened up for her. And, you know, again, now... She's going to take on Lucia Bronzetti. She is the favorite in that match. She gets through that. She's into round number four. We'll face the winner of Boshkova Jabur. And again, let's say Jabur gets through Boshkova in another physical match. Conjunction wins. Overwhelming power just be the final, you know, nail that break or whatever that breaks the dam um, in in Jabur's efforts here this week. There's a real world where it's Chinwen Sabalenka in the quarterfinals. And now all of a sudden, Chinwen makes a slam quarterfinal this year. You know, if she plays Sabalenka tough, 
it goes from a status quo, a good status quo year to just you can drop the status quo, a good year. If she can do what the draw has opened up to allow her to do at this 2023 U.S. Open. So again, she's the name now, I think, coming out of this event. We could be talking a lot about heading down the season's home stretch. And then I think come the Australian Open, just about everyone's going to have her circled as a dark horse to do some serious damage, not just reach week two, but maybe make a little bit of a run in week two as well. Again, all those players advancing in uh Three wins, Jabur, Kasakina, Chinwen, Svitolina, they all advance. Your other three set winners on the day in the women's draw, really good win for Katie Bolter to knock off the very much informed Wang Yafan, 5-7-6-1-6-4, Bolter comes back. New career high, number 50 for the 27-year-old. Wins a title this year, third round at the Open. Heck of a season for her. Good win for Friedman as well, 6-3-4-6-6-4. We'll get back to our men's matches that went the distance in a little bit. I do want to move to the upsets now because, you know, again, only three on the day. I thought a couple of them were particularly juicy. I'd start, obviously, with the two on the men's side. I mean... One of the best matches of the day was Tomas Martin Echeverry versus Stan Wawrinka, and ultimately it was the Stanimal who knocks out the number 30 seed, 7-6-6-7-6-3-6-2. Now again, straight comparison of their hardcourt results here this summer. I don't know how much of an upset that really is. And On the preview show for day four, I talked about the lack of pedigree for Echeverry on hard courts. He lost first round quarter, Davidovich, Fokina, straight sets, Canada, Cincinnati, respectively. Those were really the only hard court matches he had played since losing second round. Those were the only hard court matches he'd played since losing second round in Miami. And, you know, again, the hard court events he played this year, Adelaide, Australia, Indian Wells, Miami, Cincinnati, Canada, the U.S. Open. The only hardcore events he played are the seven big hardcourts. He went and played the South American clay court stretch in February. He was over in Bostad, Hamburg, Kitzbühel, playing the European clays in July. And why wouldn't he? He was a quarterfinalist at the French Open. That's the surface where he's one of the 30 best players in the world pretty clearly. But man, was this match physical. I mean, first two, hour, uh, first two sets, over two hours. First set alone over an hour. And again, it was absolute war for Stan Wawrinka, who had to summon a level of physicality and a level of shot making that, dare I say, was top 30 level. And ultimately, Stan, 7-6-6-7-6-3-6-2. He advances. I mean, again, you look for Stan, 48 winners overall on the day, 17 aces overall on the day, won 79 of his first serve points, fought off seven of nine break point chances that he faced, had to overcome an early break deficit in set number one. Ugh. I mean, again, Echeverry has the physicality and wasn't quite able to do enough with his backhand to make Wawrinka uncomfortable. I did thought I thought he found the forehand pretty aggressively, and I thought he did a really good job asserting himself with that forehand. Again, the margins in this match were extraordinarily thin. Echeverry probably should have won the first set breaker. Stan probably should have won the second set breaker, but you just wonder what the script looks like if Echeverry's playing that second set breaker up a set instead of down a set, and you know, again, maybe two sets to love up. Where does Stan go physically from there because of what the challenge would have been ahead? But, man, Stan was excellent. He really was. That was it, that was my favorite match I watched on the day because you got your 10, 15-shot rallies, but they had to end with something extraordinary down the line or some sort of cleverness moving forward. And, 
You know, again, Echeverry is rock solid. 43 winners, 44 unforced errors, made 63% of his first serve, 16 aces on the day. He's really good. Stan was better. I, I know, astute breakdown there. Well, you know, tactically, I just, Echeverry wasn't able to pressure Stan's forehand enough with pace, wasn't able to get Stan stretched enough into the outer thirds. You know, again, he was hitting the slice, but he was hitting the slice comfortably in that outer third. And so Stan showed an extraordinarily high level, gets a big victory. Next up, he's going to take on Yannick Sinner. Isn't that just a fun match with a ton of firepower for everyone? That was upset number one. Upset number two, Jack Draper's back. The young British lefty, a straight set. Let me say that again. Straight set victory, 2-4-5 and five, over 17th-seeded Cincinnati semifinalist Hubi Hercots. I mean, Draper it just did everything right. And someone told Hubi Hercots the scouting report of attack Draper's backhand because his forehand is the most explosive wing. That's the wrong scouting report, and I know we're relitigating a Jack Draper conversation we've ha- we had quite frequently last season. Draper doesn't miss backhands. Jack Draper is so sound on that backhand wing, and his ability to absorb pace, his ability to drive that ball, just prevent you from doing any sort of attacking through that backhand wing. It's what ultimately drew 49 unforced errors out of Hubie Hercots. And look, a lot of it was the same script for Hoobie. Missed forehand, sprayed wide, sprayed long, sprayed in the net. You know, again, Draper did a great job of playing with pace, serving through that wing when he approached the net. He approached through that Hoobie forehand. It was a very simple, well-executed game plan for Draper, who was just physically up for the challenge. And, you know, again, Hoobie was, I think, 8-0 against lefties coming into this event this year. Some very good number like that, it, it didn't matter. You know, again, Jack Draper just, it, it, he won the forehand to backhand exchange overwhelmingly. And that's what makes Draper so dangerous is you can't grind him down on that backhand wing. And if you do leave something short to that forehand, he's going to snap it through the court. He's going to move forward behind it. Was only 9 of 15 at the net, but that's because Hoobie's reflex was then to move forward, try to get to the net, take that away from Draper. But look, Draper went up breaks in the opening service games of Hercots in sets one, two, and I believe three as well. I think Hercots got one of the breaks back in set number, it was either set number two or set number three where he got one. No, he got one of the breaks back in set number two. I think the third set was actually on serve for a little bit until ultimately Draper obviously able to close things out seven, five in the third I mean, Jack Draper's played top 50 level tennis before. You know, this is not the first top 20 victory we've seen for Jack Draper in his career. Obviously, most notably, he beat Tsitsipas last season uh, on his way to the quarters in Canada. He's now 7-10 and 10 in his career against the top 20. Obviously, he's dealt with a ton of injuries this year. But this is a guy who had 20 years old or 21 years old, was 38 in the world, and you know, doesn't turn 22 till the end of the December. Yes, he was outside the top 100 to start this event, but all of that was injury-related now in making the third round. Back up to number 119. He wins one more match. He'll be back up to number 105, and it will not be long before Jack Draper finds himself back inside, not just the top 100, but top 50, and back in that conversation. I think there's a tier of, like, Musetti, him, Arthur Fee, I think Ben Shelton's hardcourt results, maybe he start he 
I don't know if he should be in that conversation. But, you know, again, there's a next list of guys who we need to start talking about. Stricker belongs in that conversation now. Uh, Mickelson probably belongs in that conversation now. And, you know, again, I certainly believe that not only coming out of this event, but even prior to this, we knew Jack Draper belonged in that part of the conversation as well. So really good win for Draper. Obviously, very disappointing loss for Hoobie, particularly given how well he was playing coming into this event and to get out of a two sets to love deficit in round number one, you know, you're starting to hope, okay, maybe that's the bullet dodged and now he can get a rhythm going. But, you know, this is actually the first early exit for Hubie at a majors in a, uh, not early in the sense of, I guess, disappointing result, uh, given who he was facing at a major that we've seen this season, you know, again, round of 16 Wimbledon lost to Djokovic, Round of six, uh, 32, Roland Garros lost to Juan Pablo Varias. But again, that's Roland Garros. Round of 16, lost to Corda in Australia. Not a great year for Hubi at the majors. Not a terrible year, I would say, for him either. Still, Wawrinka, Draper knocking out Hercots, Echeverry. That means 15 of our 32 seeds eliminated in rounds one and two of this event. On the women's side, we end with 13 seeds eliminated in rounds one and two. Only one seed knocked out uh, on day number four of this event. That was Carolina Pliskova, who just never got things going against Clara Burel. Burel, a 6-4-6-2 victory. You look at the stats from this match, 28 unforced errors from Pliskova to 14 from Burel. I think she pulls the backhand line very well. She moves extraordinarily well. And look, Clara Burel is a former one. I want to say top two junior in the world. You look for Clara Burel. No, former world junior number one back in 2018. Still just 22 years old. Again, not the biggest, but very fluid. I thought when she had some time, she did a great job imposing herself Uh with particular pace down the line, just not giving Pliskova any easy lanes of attack, making Pliskova force the issue, and then you know using her speed to beat Pliskova to the spot. Again, Pliskova didn't have it overall in the day. You could see that frustrating mounted. She offered us a nice cracked racket uh, throughout the course of the event, uh, throughout the course of the match, excuse me. But credit to Clara Burel, third round uh, now of the U.S. Open, and with this result, Burel back up, I believe, in the live rankings all the way to number 66, five off her career high. Up next for the 22-year-old French woman is a date with Arena Sabalenka. So again, she'll face that power. It will be interesting uh, to see if she does have the speed, if she does have the counterpunching ability to survive that sort of pace. I would expect Sabalenka to get through, uh, but again, uh, good on Burel upsetting 25th-seeded Karolina Pliskova. Uh, Again, those are your three upsets. Burel over Pliskova, Draper over Wawrinka, uh, Draper over Hercots, Wawrinka over Echeverria. Leave that all in. It's fine. Let's move on now to the other notable results on the day. Then we'll end with the Americans, the players with college ties. Look, on the men's side, I know I haven't talked about them much. There's not much to say. Like, yeah, the third set was a little competitive, but it was never in doubt. Carlos Alcaraz, 6-3-6-1-7-6 over Lloyd Harris. I thought Alcaraz was slicing his backhand more than I've seen him do on hard courts in particular. I wonder if that's a wrinkle, something he wants to do, keep that ball low on Djokovic instead of giving Djokovic the obvious on-the-run forehand cross, which he hits so successfully when that ball's in his strike zone. It was an interesting wrinkle. Again, Harris, a taller guy, you keep that ball low on him. He had to pop things up from there. You know, the moment you pop something up, give Alcaraz time. He explodes through the forehand. 
the match was never in doubt. Like, yeah, Harris, it got a little testy, four all, five all in that third set. But when Alcaraz needs to summon magic, he's able to summon magic. He's yet to look threatened in his opening round victories, a date in round number three for him. Uh, I believe he will also look comfortable as he is taking on Daniel Evans. You know, again, his pace into that one-handed backhand. Uh, That's going to be a tough matchup for the Brit who got an impressive four-set victory on the day, by the way over Botik Vandesen, Shkulp, other top seeds. I mean, you look for Daniil Medvedev, he was fine overall in the day. 10 double faults isn't great, only made 54% of his first serves. And, you know, again, those struggles on serve have been the thing that have plagued him so far in this North American hardcore stretch. But, you know, Chris O'Connell did a great job hitting through his forehand. O'Connell, 31 of 53 at the net, was clearly trying to press the issue, be the aggressor, find some sort of way to get Medvedev out of the center of the court, get him out of rhythm, or at least force him to come up with something magical. But Medvedev's able to do it. He's moving so well. Again, uses every inch of this U.S. Open court to extend points. And you know, again, if he gets his hands on a backhand, it's coming back at you service line or deeper. You just don't feel comfortable sneaking in behind it. And when you do sneak in behind the wrong ball, you're going to pop up a first volley. He's going to beat you with the two-pass combination, which he does maybe as efficiently as anyone on the planet right now. Yeah, third set wasn't great for Medvedev, who, what, made 56% of his first serves. I think 18 of his 41 unforced errors came in that third set. He got a little slap happy, got a little impatient. Steadied the ship, threw in four sets. I have no worries about Medvedev as he heads into his third-round matchup. Actually, man, he's going to give Sebi Baez time, and Baez is going to have the ability to rifle some balls through the court. That match is going to be physical. That match is going to be fun. That's actually a very good matchup for Sebi Baez, unless Daniil Medvedev serves well, because then that ball is going to be on top of Baez so quickly. And again, that's why no matter what, Medvedev will have the ability to uh, keep things close, but... Again, you don't want to get into rallies with Sebi Bias because if you give Bias time, he might hit the ball bigger from the baseline. So that's a very fun matchup. By the way, Bias 6-7-6-4-6-4 through after Melgini Alves forced to retire at the end of that third set. Uh, that's a sneaky fun third-round battle to put on your radar. But, you know, other than that, Sinner threw in straight sets over Senega, was never really challenged. And, you know, again, a very fun match with Stan coming up for the Italian. Sinner, by the way, remains undefeated against Lorenzo Senego. And, by the way, I have some random stats to present to all of you. Random, maybe not the right word there, but some stats via our friends at OptaAce just coming out of this day number five because, of course, they always offer some fun ones uh, for all of you tennis fans that don't follow them on Twitter via our friends at OptaAce. Wawrinka, the sixth player, aged 38 or over, to reach the third round of the U.S. Open. He joins Pacho Segura, Richard Gonzalez, Ken Rosewall, Jimmy Connors, and Roger Federer. That's a cool list to be on. Carlos Alcaraz, with his win, has now won 83% of his matches at the majors. That win rate is the third best of all time for a player younger than the age of 21. He now passed Becker, Nadal, trails only Mats Vlander and Bjorn Borg in terms of under 21 win percentage at the majors. Yeah, there's a reason I call him once in a generation. There's a reason I say he's not eliminated from the GOAT race because... He is on that sort of pace. He's putting together a Pantheon-level season. He wins this U.S. Open. It's on the Pantheon. There's just no doubt about it. Those are the additional men's stats I wanted to provide all of you. Again, other matches on the day. Rublev, four sets over Monfi. 
his forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. And yes, Monfi made that match physical. He extended rallies. He couldn't hurt Rublev consistently. And if you give Andre Rublev enough time, he's too persistent. He's too relentless. He's just going to break it down. That's what we saw in that match. Rublev threw in four. He's going to take on Arthur Rinderknecht, who gets a victory after, unfortunately, Berrettini injured. You know, Rinderknecht was up a set and a break, but Berrettini injured, rolls his ankle, his knees. Just clearly something happened as he fell over 5-3 in that second set, forced to retire. You know, again, for a guy who's dealt with so many injuries of late, just needs something to start breaking Matteo Berrettini's way. But Rinderknecht through to the third round. Uh, again, he's got some weapons. That matchup could be fun. Other winner uh, winners on the day on the men's side, Demon Hour, as expected. Wu Bing just didn't have anything left in the tank. You have to have a full tank of gas taken on Demon. Demon 1-2-1. and one. Zverev got a little tentative in set number two, but serving well, striking the ball brilliantly from the baseline, and finally starting to move like he was before getting injured in 2021. I would say he's probably 96 97% of the way back. He's threw in a comfortable four over the always tricky Daniel Altmaier. Dimitrov gave Andy Murray the business. Uh, Andy Murray just could not hurt Grigor, and Grigor was so prepared physically, so disciplined, ready to play 20, 25 shots a rally, hit his on-the-run forehand cross-court so well. Anytime Murray did try to pressure the down the line and mix up the pace of the rally, Murray was the one who ran out of legs in set number three, and considering Dimitrov had the two sets to love come back in round one, that was not the script you expected to unfold. Grigor Dimitrov threw in straights, uh, sets up a very fun matchup between he and Zverev in round number three. Other winners on the day, Nicolas Yari threw in four over Alex Mickelson. Again, Arthur Rinderknecht, Dan Evans, Seppi Baez, your winners on the men's side. For the women, again, pretty straightforward day of results. Sabalenka never tested. Jody Barrage was not ready for the weapons. Three and two. Hard to take anything away other than she didn't look tested, which means she looks ready. Same with Pagula. There are a bunch of breaks in the opening set. She was not serving well. Once she found that first serve, it was never in doubt. Her ability to take the return early on the rise, just gun that ball at your feet. She's one of the three best returners in the world. Maybe even clear-cut number two behind Sviantec. I mean, Jessica Pagula, 3-1, wasn't tested. Neither was Von Drusova, 2-2. Two two. Samsonova, up early breaks, fired away from there. 3-3 three and three over Korpats. Keys has looked really good in her first two matches. She gets another straight set win over Vic Meyer. Good for Alexandrova. Finals last week in Cleveland. Really tough three-setter against Fernandez in round one. She gets a straight set win to give herself something easy in round number two. Bozhkova, Bronzetti, Peyton Stearns, your other winners on the day on the women's side. Again, we've got a lot of seeds left entering these third rounds, uh, uh, round of 32 in both the men's and women's draw. These next four days of tennis, they're going to be really, really good, so... I'm looking forward. I'm bringing on a guest. We'll have someone to talk about uh, everything that's unfolded thus far. And obviously, after day six is done, we'll set the scene as we approach week number two in the fourth round of play here at this U.S. Open. That said, we'll rapid fire end here with the Americans, the players with college results. We ultimately have seven American women through to round number three of this event. Goff, Townsend, Brady, Para, all advancing on day three. They are joined now by Pagu. Ula, Keys, and again, Peyton Stearns, who I should have mentioned this earlier. Shout out to you, Peyton Stearns. She has been sneaky dominant. 
Peyton Stearns has uh, throughout the course of her U.S. Open run. And, you know, again, Stearns now up to 49 in the world. She has become a top 50 player in 18 months since leaving college. The 2022 NCAA champion has come through qualifying, come through the ITFs, done it the hard way, and comfortably advances to a third round at the U.S. Open. By the way, she's the favorite over Katie Bolter. And I think Peyton Stern should advance to the fourth round of this event. Again, her serve, her forehand, the physicality she brings, the weapons she possesses, how explosive and heavy top spin those balls are coming off of her racket. She is top 50 good, particularly on hard courts. And again, Peyton Stern's uh, the last college player uh, in the women's uh, player with college ties in the women's singles draw still alive. So she gets to wear that mantle heading into the third round, as well as being one of seven Americans. And again, I think Goff's the favorite in her round. Uh, Pagula, Keys, and Goff, in my opinion, are all favorites in their third round matches. Keys versus oh, I take that back for Keys. That's a toss up between her and Samsonova. Pagula's the favorite against Svitolina. Goff's the favorite against Merton. Stearns, I think, it might even be the most heavy of the favorite. No, Goff's the most heavy favorite. Then maybe you go Stearns over Bolter before you go Pagula over Svitolina. Like, I do think there's a world where, you know, again, Bernardo Pera, for what it's worth, going to take on Ostapenko. That's a winnable match. Townsend right now, uh, or right now, excuse me, Townsend facing Carolina Muhova. Um, tomorrow, I don't know why I said right now, um, she might be on the court in doubles, and maybe that's why I just saw her name. Anyways, Townsend takes on Carolina Muhova. Again, Paris taking on Ostapenko. Jennifer Brady, a very winnable match against Caroline Wozniacki. There's a world where five of the final 16 women are American. How special would that be? I think there's a legitimate shot for it. Uh, again, five, uh, excuse me, seven American women through to the third round. You have five American men through to round number three. Fritz, Tiafo, Paul Shelton yesterday. Yari knocking out Mickelson, who, by the way, guessed beautifully in a couple of two breaks of Nicolas Yari in the opening set. Outside of that, he's just not ready movement-wise to deal with someone who can hit that heavy, play with that sort of elite pace, elite aggression the way Nicolas Yari can. Now, Mickelson was able to go shot for shot with him, had some weapons to dispose of his own. But, you know, again, that the question for Alex Mickelson is he's just got to get a little stronger, a little fitter. At 19 years old, you hope that's the only question you ask. I don't have questions about his tennis, his feel, his court scent, his ability to compete. Really good showing from Alex Mickelson, continuing to close in on a top 100 debut. The biggest result of the day is obviously the ending of the careers for both Jack Sock and John Isner. And look, for Isner from two sets to love up, 25-year-old Michael Moe, rock solid, served really well, wisely moved forward whenever the opportunity presented itself. All he had to do was make the first volley short angle, and that's the volley he hits most successfully. 3-6-4-6-7-6-6-4-7-6. Fights off a match point at 4-5-30-40, but it was an unreturned first serve, so not that heroic of a match point fight off. Still, in that scene, in that moment, what a what a win for Michael Moe, who's just dealt with so many different injuries and, you know, again, so many different yellow lights in what should have been a top, you know, he should have been a perennial top 100 guy. And with this, the 25-year-old joins his peers, Francis, Tommy, Taylor, who he always was right up there with in the junior rankings. And, you know, now he's 78 in the world and into the third round here of this U.S. Open, has a really winnable match against Jack Draper. 
in round number three, you know, now all of a sudden you're in the second week as well. And again, you look at all these Americans still alive. Mo going to take on Draper. Uh, you have I don't know if he's the favorite there, but I think maybe you could argue that to that. Draper's probably the favorite, but certainly Mo's got a real shot there. Tommy's taking on Davidovich Fokina, Francis versus Manorino, Shelton versus Karatsev, Fritz versus the 17 year old Menzik. Can we get all five remaining American men through to the six, uh, the round of 16? Can we have 10 Americans in the final 32 singles players still alive between the men's and women's draw? One third of the field. It's not impossible. That's what I'm saying is everyone goes into their match with a very, very realistic shot. I apologize. I'm gonna, you might have heard that phone ring in the background. Um, look, again, the Americans are doing well. Um, they continue to have success. And look, as for John Isner, and we'll talk about this more properly maybe after this U.S. Open has completed. He gets knocked out in doubles with Sockton. I think he gets knocked out of mixed as well. He's been the face of American tennis for a decade and a half. He was the face, you know, I did this with John Parsons in our summer edition of The Deciding Point this week. He was the face of the college tennis pathway. He was the highest ranked American forever. And he was the guy, even if you didn't love his playing style, if you were born in America as I am, was and still live, he was the guy you followed. He was the guy you always wanted to know. Well, at least we got one guy in the mix. Or look, he just won Miami. Or, you know, look, a big doubles result. You know, again, whatever it may be, he was the face. He was the flag bearer. And, you know, again, it's a, it's an unfair burden to put on his shoulders. The stre- You know, he was the guy in the streak of the post-erotic, everyone waiting for another slam winner era. But he held that mantle admirably. And, again, 15 years of top 30 tennis – is really freaking hard to do. And that's pretty much what he did. And tip of the cap to John Isner. Again, was I ever the biggest fan of his playing style? No, I can watch five minutes of an Isner match. That's usually enough for me. The Mo match was fun because it was such a fascinating contrast uh, between how the two want, want to execute point in, point out, watching Mo problem solve his way to gaining opportunities uh, on the John Isner serve was extraordinarily exciting. But again, Michael Moe threw the only American men's winner on day number four. He joins Fritz, Tiafo, Paul, and Shelton in the third round. Final category here quickly, and we talked about some of them already. Again, Peyton Stearns, your only woman remaining with college ties in the women's singles draw. On the men's side, Cam Norrie threw in straight sets and nice steadying of the ship for Cam, who's been dominant in his first two rounds. Hasn't looked like this in a little bit. He and Rinder Kanesh joined Shelton, Hijikata, Goyo in round number three of this event. Again, Rinder Kanesh getting the withdrawal from Berrettini following his injury. So, again, five college players Shelton, Hijikata, Goyo, Nori, Rinder Kanesh on the men's side, one Stearns on the women's side, six total still alive as we turn the page uh, towards round number three. And again, if you'd like to hear a preview of day five's action, the Great Shot podcast feed is the place for your preview pods. You can hear them every day around 4 5 p.m. Eastern time. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis 
Crosspoint, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.